The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. For more audio and information, please visit HolyCrossTucson.com. But we see that a deeper understanding of who God is as triune really impacts how we live our life. So a couple weeks ago, we learned about God's role in our salvation, that the Father adopts, that Jesus, the God the Son, secures for us the blessing of God and the salvation of God, and that the Holy Spirit applies the work of Jesus to our lives, our life. And we see how the Trinity works in our growth, in our Christian growth, that the Father is the source of all good blessings to us, that the Son makes us fruitful, and that the Spirit is the ever-present minister of God's presence in our life. And so this morning we look at Ephesians chapter 4. We see this powerful connection between who God is and His and His, and His, and His nature and our relationship with others. We see this connection between our relationship with God as Trinity and our relationship with other people within the church. And this teaching on the Trinity can be such a, a heady, heavenly, uh, intellectual study, can it? I, even the last couple of weeks, maybe you have felt there seems to be, this is really intense, this is really deep. But we forget how down-to-earth the application of the Trinity can be for our life. And that's what I'm really excited about this passage, is it shows us how down-to-earth, how practical the application of God's nature as triune is for our life. And the writer of Ephesians, Apostle Paul, he shows us that the Christian community is central to our Christian identity. This means that when we grow in enjoyment of God and knowledge of God as triune, we will grow in our love and enjoyment and participation in the people whom he has called us to live life with. And so Paul points out four things that we want to know about community and life with others. And here's the four points, and then we'll we'll get into them. The first one is that we are made for community. It's our calling. We're made for it. The second is that there's difficult with community. Uh, Enjoying community doesn't come naturally to us, and we'll talk about that. Third, the gospel restores deep community. It actually, it, it changes the nature of our community, and it restores our community to its intended good. And lastly, that real change happens in the context of community. And so some great things that Paul addresses here in Ephesians chapter 4. First, we are made for community. I mean, this is what we were created for. Look at verse 1. You see Paul urging them. He said, and he urges us as he urges uh, God's people as we read it to live a life worthy of your calling to which you have been called. Specifically, he's saying, given everything that God has done in your life, given everything that God has done for you and in you, live a life that is worthy of that gift. And what specifically is that gift? He, he talks about it earlier, actually, in his letter in Ephesians 2. Verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Specifically, the gift of what God has done in us and for us, The idea of being brought close to God where we were once far off. This idea of being drawn to God and brought close into relationship with Him is so so profound if you think about it deeply. I mean, if you take a time to think about what does this really mean? That we are brought close to God, having once been far off, and, and the Bible says alienated from God, alienated from relationship and community with God, we are now brought close by the blood of Jesus. 
Think of the impact of that. See, God is, God is a social being. God is a communal God. He's wired to be relational because he has eternally existed in community. So when we understand that, that the Trinity that is in constant, perfect community with one another, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit in perfect community, and then God says, let's make man in our image to be like us, to live like us, to enjoy the social community that we enjoy. And we are the only being in all of creation whom God created that is made to be like God in that way. No matter how you are wired, you may be an introvert, you may be an extrovert, you may be socially awkward. Wherever you are, you're created to be social, to be connected, to be brought near. You're created to know others and to be known by them in a way that is very personal, very authentic, very intimate. Mankind was made to be this way. We are meant to have this with God. And that's an, that's an easy jump, I think. When I say we're alienated from God and we were meant to have relationship with God. Many of you can see that connection. There's this, there was a time when that relationship was not broken. In the garden, in the innocence of mankind, uh, Adam and Eve enjoyed perfect community with God. They talked with God freely. They walked with Him. They knew Him. There was harmony and peace and innocence. There was complete, unhindered community with God. And then sin entered into the world and alienated us from God and fractured how we relate to one another. And Paul says, but now God has brought you back into community with himself through the work of Jesus, through the payment of his blood on the cross, his substitute for you. He's drawn you close back into relationship with him. And when you really get down to thinking about this, our calling that he talks about in Ephesians to which we are called, is really just another way of saying, this is how you are meant to be. This is how you are meant to live. You are meant to be connected in relationship with, with God. But did you also know that you were created also to be connected in authentic community with one another? This is what you were made to be. This is what you were called, how you're called to live. Maybe you've used this phrase before. If you're a Christian, you probably have. I feel called to whatever, dot, dot, dot. I feel called to this, uh, this person, uh, to marry. I've, I'm called to this job. I'm called to this um, whatever. What you're really saying is, I feel a sense in my being that this is what I was created to do. At least at this point in my life, I'm made for this. I'm built for this. I'm wired for this. And God says... You are built for Him. You are built for community with Him and built for community with one another. And we can't understand one without the other. Our Christian community is central to our Christian identity. And that's what Paul is getting at here, that we are made for this, we are called to this. What the Bible says is that the purpose of every person 
is to be in community with God and community with others. We're made to live in this face-to-face relationship with others. And it can be argued that there's never a time in life, at any life stage, it's never a good time for a person to be alone, to be isolated from community. Now you may think when you're getting married, well, the Bible says it is good for a man to leave his mother and father, but then it says, but they would cleave to their wife. See, as we leave one context, one community, it is only to go into another community, another relationship, to leave for college as a, as a young uh, man or woman. It is not good to be isolated, but to get in community. There is never a time in, any, in anybody's life, in any context, where it is good for us to be alone. And even Paul, when he is in prison, if you notice as you read through his writings and his letters, he's in prison often. And even when he is alone in prison, he is quick to remind us, I have with me, you know, Tychus. I have with me Silas. I have with me, and he he tells us, I'm sending my friend to you. We see that Paul, even though he's in prison, he's never alone. He is never disconnected from community. He never travels alone. And this wasn't because he was selfishly indulging and insisting that people would always be around him. He wasn't needy in that sense of like, I just need to have people around me. It was because he was so aware of his need for friendship, that he was built for it, that he was made for it, and that his communion with God would inform his communion with others. To live out our human identity of what it means to be human, made in God's image, is to be connected with others. But this doesn't always work the way we want, does it? Our expectations of community with others doesn't always match up with reality, does it? Because if you've been a Christian, or even if you're not a Christian, and you've had relationships, you've had relationship break. You've had people hurt you. You've had people offend you. And this goes into the next movement in, in Paul's uh, scripture, the difficulty with community. Look at verse 2 and 3. He says, With all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, because he knows that even though we are created for this and meant for this and wired for this, it's really hard. And community is broken. And things go wrong. We are called to bear with one another. Whenever I hear this phrase, uh, to bear with one another, uh, it's, it's really negative. Doesn't that come off as just really negative? Bear with me for a second. Right? It's like, oh, this is going to be painful. Would you bear with me? This is, gonna, this is not good. The way that Paul is using it, the way that the Scripture uses this is, see, what we think it means, when we hear it from someone else, we're saying, would you put up with my, with my baggage for a minute? Just put up with my junk and just... This is, going to, this is going to hurt your life in this moment, but you're my friend, so you have to take it. That's what, right? That's what it sounds like. That's what we have to do in Christian community, right? If you're a Christian, you just have to put up with people. Bear, bear with people. Just put up with one another, and Jesus will come back quickly, hopefully. Am I, is this ringing a bell? This is an amazing phrase. The way that the Bible uses it, to bear with one another. It's an amazing phrase. And it's, it's, got a, it's like a double-sided, sword, a double-sided coin. And here's what it means. Two things. To take up and to endure. 
Imagine that someone is, is struggling with a, a, a great burden that they're carrying. I mean, it's groceries, it's a package, it's something that they got at the store, and they're walking to a door or to their car, and you see them in their struggle, and you rush up to them and say, let me, let me help you, let me take that for you, let me, you know what, let me help you with that burden you're carrying. And you take two steps, and you say, I didn't realize it was this heavy, never mind, you can have it back. <laughs> so what this passage is saying, to, to take up the burden and to endure in that. Don't get weary with helping, with taking up a burden for the benefit of that person. But endure in it, to keep doing that, to stay with it. It is a sharing of burden and the endurance of that sharing of that burden. Paul says, be eager to maintain the spirit of unity. To be unified to be unified, to bear up one another's burdens, and to be unified in community is to have the same instincts. Think about this. Think about animals. <clears throat> you put an animal, a wild animal, in a given situation, they're going to act a certain way, out of instinct, out of their nature, right? Their animal instinct. We say that a lot. They, why do they do that? Well, it's just their instinct. You take a, a, a different animal, the same kind of animal, but a different animal, and you put it in a, the same kind of situation. They're going to do the same thing. Every time. Why? Because it's their instinct. They were, this is their nature. This is what they're wired to do. We were created for community. We were made for it. But the Bible tells us that because, but instead of pursuing one another's burdens, taking it up and enduring with that, pursuing community on a foundation of love and sacrifice, what comes naturally to us because of sin and the brokenness in our life is to actually, instead of to bear with one another, is to compete with one another. You know what our instincts actually are? Because of brokenness in community and because of sin in our hearts and in our world, our instincts are to fight, to have the world revolve around us rather than to love and serve others. This is our nature. This is our broken nature. It is not what we are created for. It's not what we are created to do or how to feel or how to engage with others, but it is how things play out. We are called to unity, Paul says, but what often we find in community is much different. The reason we find ourselves needing this exhortation from God's word to bear with one another is because community is full of people. Paul knows it. And because it's full of people, it's full of conflict. And the, pro, the, the Trinity, the God's, God's nature and identity and community that he shares out of a foundation of love is a prototype for us. He gives us a prototype of his, his nature and himself to what really healthy community looks like when things are difficult, when things are really challenging. A self-centered life wants, wants our life to revolve around us, wants people's lives to revolve around us. You, 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 may, be, you may be very selfless in your life. You, know, you, may get, you may get married and serve another. You may serve others in the church. You may give money and time and your talents to bless others. But self centeredness looks, at the end of the day, it looks at everything as a means to an end. 
And instead of self-centeredness, God models something else for us. We see within the Godhead, within the nature of who God is, in Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we see that God models something amazing. It's a mutual, self-giving love. Each person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, neither insist on making it about them. Neither insists that the world would revolve around that one person, but rather they, oh, they continually defer honor, they continually defer glory, they continually serve out of a mutual expression of love for one another. And if God of the universe is like this, and He's made us in that image to be like Him and to function like Him, what does it mean for us? Well, verse 2, Paul says, let this be your foundation. Be eager to do this. Be eager to maintain the spirit of unity with one another, bearing with one another's burdens out of love. Community that is enjoyed just as long as it doesn't get in the way of our goals is not community. Community that we engage in in order to get something for us, for our comfort, for our benefit in itself is not real community. It's something else. It's something fake. Imagine how your relationships could look different simply by applying these three nouns in verse 2 to your situation. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Humility, thinking of others as more important than yourselves, as Christ has modeled for us in Philippians chapter 2. That he humbled himself. He emptied himself. He did not see equality with God, something to be grasped, But out of humility, he gave himself for us, even to the point of death on a cross. Gentleness. You know, this is, gentleness is a healing disposition. It's a soothing disposition, not abrasive. It is a calm presence and warmth in relationship. Imagine what could change change to have that. And patience. Don't be quick to act on your emotion when you feel that emotion. Imagine what your relationships and community could look like by just thinking deeply on those three nouns. Profound, isn't it? Community that is enjoyed just as... Uh, well, you'll never, find, you'll never find love and satisfaction and joy by centering your life around your goals. You'll come up empty every time. The world was created by a community-loving God, a social God, and therefore we created for it. And so here we see this created for it, and this is the dilemma, isn't it? We're created for it, but we're cursed against it, but there is hope for it. And this is where Paul goes, the gospel restores community. It restores deep community. This is our redemption. This is our hope is that we are not just left in this brokenness. Because isn't that a hopeless scenario? So you're telling me I was made, I was made for orange juice and the grocery store is fresh out. What do we do? I'm made for community, but community is broken? Well, then what's the point? There is hope in the good news of Jesus' gift to us. Verse 4 to 6, 
There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. And grace was given to you according to the measure of Christ's gift. You were called to one hope that belongs to your call. What is that one hope? See, this is is interesting. Paul is saying, live out your life according to the call to which you have been called to the one hope of your calling. Well, Paul, what is it? Tell us. It's what we sing about. It's what we preach about. It's what we discuss in our life group, community groups throughout the week. The one hope is that the idea of perfect restoration is not a pipe dream. That perfect, loving community where we are mutually loving one another and protected among each other and growing in our faith together is not a myth. But it's true. The one hope is that the triune God who adopts us into His family, who loves us and who lives in us by the indwelling Holy Spirit is more powerful than any natural tendency in our life to be distant from it. He is more powerful than any temptation to rip us from community. And He lives in us and He's growing in us and He's encouraging us And he's convincing us to keep going in this community, even when it's broken. Hope is living today with a future perspective. That's what hope is. Living today based on what you know is going to come true in the future. What do Christians know about the future? This is what Paul is saying. This is why he's talking himself in circles because he's reminding them, we know this to be true. You guys know it. You've heard it. You've embraced it. You've based your life on it. Now live this out. What do you believe? That God will bring restoration and peace to all of creation. And those who trust in him who have been called according to his purpose will forever live in perfect community with God. And Paul says, okay, what does that mean for you and your relationships with others? See, we might go to Revelation 21 and think about what does this future hope look like? And it says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And the Christian believes this and says, One day, all of it's going to be restored. All of it's going to be perfect. We're going to be with God forever in heaven, and our relationships will be good. And no one will feel hurt or guilty or shamed. No one will feel isolated. We will all be in harmony with God and each other. And Paul is saying, do you have this hope in you? And we say, yes. And he says, well, what are you waiting for? Live that way now. Live as people who truly believe that that future is coming and is now here because the Holy Spirit lives in us, because God is among us and dwells within us. If you truly believe that you are adopted into the family of God based on his perfect character and record and righteousness and not your character or track record, but his grace, 
What are you still fighting for? Why are you still fighting with others for position, for glory, for perspective? Why are you still impatient when others do things that bug you? Why, are you, why do you insist that you be known and as an important person in your community? Why are you still selfish with your time and your treasure? Why? If God is over all and in all and through all and God over all and he's invited you to share in his riches, then what are you worried about? Do you see how the truth of the Trinity, the nature of who God is and what he's done in our life affects how we live with others? It uh, renews our relationship with God and also renews and restores our relationship with others. One Lord, there is one name under heaven by which a person is saved. It is Jesus. He is our one Lord. There is one faith. There is a, there is a, a shared hope in the gospel together that God's people share. There's one baptism. This baptism is a sign of the Holy Spirit's washing away of our sin and reminds us of our adoption into the body of Christ. One God and Father over all. God is at the wheel of creation and we don't have anything to fear. And this picture of Jesus, as Paul says, he gives gifts as a manifestation of his gift. He gives gifts of grace to us. It's this picture of a king who travels the whole globe and conquers all and he brings back to his people and distributes the spoils to them for their benefit and joy and the mutual building up of one another. You see, it says he ascended and he descended. He went, he went to the bottom of the earth. He went to the heights of heaven. He's been everywhere and he's come back and he has everything and he is now distributing it among his people. Everything that he has claimed for himself. And what does he claim for himself? Everything. My mom and dad would go on vacations at various times and they would come back and they would unzip their suitcase and they would flip it open and all of us kids would be standing uh, over it. Why? Because as they flipped it open, they would bring back treasures from their travels like yo-yos and Chinese um, handcuffs, you know, the finger handcuffs. And these things would change our life. What spoils, what gifts have you brought back from your travels? Jesus conquers all and the gifts for our joy and the mutual building up of one another he gives to the church. He gives to every believer, every person who has this this one hope that we are adopted into his family by the merits of Christ and his blood for us. All who trust in that, we are given these gifts, these special abilities. For what? to build up one another, to restore community that is broken. Not to hoard, not to boast, not to say, look at what I'm good at. Look at what I have. I'm going to keep this for myself. But this is something that has come outside of you that is not natural. It's a gift from God given to you unconditionally so that you can use it to restore community. Do you see here in Ephesians 4, the author Paul's wanting every Christian to know that the gospel is not only the hope for sinners to become saved, but it is also the hope for Christians to be restored with one another. The gospel is not just, we've said it before, Pastor Tim Keller in New York said, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity. It's not just the good news of how to get into heaven. It is the A to Z of Christianity. It is, it is by which we live and get our meaning and our breathing. Is, it is the fountain that overflows into every area of life and affects everything we do. Christians need the gospel just as much 
as non-Christians. So Paul says, you realize that our salvation, the good news, the gospel for our salvation and our communion, our restored communion with God, it's, it's never less than that. That's, that's very, very good. It's never less than that, but it's, it's more. He hopes to restore us to community with him, but also with others. Not stopping there. Also, our, commu- our relationship between people and creation, people and one another. He re- he's going to restore all of it. And the result of living in life with community with God and others will bring, bring transformation, new life, restoration. He hopes to change us. He hopes to use God's people to bring this promised restoration that he has promised to us. And this is where he goes in his letter and he finishes off that real hope, real change happens in the context of community. Look at the picture that was, that was read in verse 12 to 16. It's a picture of maturity. Paul is basically saying, now grow up. Grow up. Grow up into community that is mature. The picture of, uh, in verse 12 to 16, a Christian who does not understand their calling for community, does not understand the brokenness in community and why it exists because of the selfishness in our own hearts and the manifestation of that selfishness in community, Lack of humility, lack of gentleness, lack of patience, lack of an eagerness to pursue unity. And also that God desires to restore community. And that Christians use their gifts instead of blessing one another but hoarding those blessings. Paul says this is a, this is a sign of immaturity. Those who don't seek peace, those who don't seek restoration, those who don't seek to build up and to bless are acting like children. Now, you know, in the Bible, we do see that we're often encouraged to act like children, to have a childlike disposition as it relates to our faith. But this is not one of those times. Here, this is a bad thing. We don't want to be like children here. What happens in a transformed community? There's maturation of our faith. There's a a growing. We, We grow up into Christ who is the head of the body. Have you ever noticed how Gentle and patient you can be when no one is getting on your nerves. It's like, I'm so gentle and patient today. No one's bothering you. Have you ever noticed how loving you can be when you're around your friends, your best friends? And you're thinking, I'm really getting the hang of this. Have you noticed how selfless you can be when people are easy to love? That's acting like a child. I know how proud it is at at that moment when you see your child sharing a toy with another child and you think, I've done it. I have done it. I'm a good parent. And I assure you, that is accidental on their part. (laughs) Any measure of generosity in a child is purely coincidental. And given the moment when they realize that they just gave away what they love, they grab it back. That's how children act. Children insist on their world revolving around them. Children insist that they receive the honor and glory. Children insist that if their perspective is not embraced, then you must be wrong. And you need to change. Everyone is a saint in isolation. This is me too. 
And community brings out the weaknesses in us. The community of marriage, the community of friendship, the community of church brings out those weaknesses. And sometimes we say, well, then it must be the community. It must be my marriage. It must be my friends. It must be the church I'm in. But God in his wisdom would say to us, but this is actually my design. That community is actually doing exactly what I want it to do, sharpening you. It's maturing you. It is sanctifying. The Bible uses this word sanctification. It is helping you grow, exposing those weakness and grow you up into Christ, who is head of overall. This is God's agenda, that we would grow up into maturity to be like Christ. Therefore, giving glory to God and maximizing our capacity for joy in that community when we are more like Jesus. What if the purpose of community was not to make us happy and comfortable, but to make us more like Jesus? What if the purpose of our gathering as a church at Holy Cross is to not make us comfortable and happy, but to actually make us more like Jesus? Paul says, be eager to do this, and when you do, you will be transformed. You're to grow up into every way that is Christ. God's future plan is the complete restoration of all creation one day. Live that way now. God is out to prepare his people for his glorious future by transforming us now. And he gives us this gift of community that brings out our weaknesses, that challenges us. And then he says, be eager to maintain a spirit of unity. Be careful, be watchful over your heart. Look at Christ and his, his, his example. Look at the prototype of God and his nature in mutual love for one another, putting each other's needs above their own. And often we see that community is like, it is, it is a safe, it's, a, it's a safety net below the tightrope. And so we're living our life, we're doing our thing, we're living in isolation, we're living in individual lives, and the community is there when things get really bad. And thank goodness we have the community, because when things are bad, the community is there to help. The church will help, our friends will help, they'll answer the phone call, and they'll rush in when things are hard. Well, the way that the Bible describes community, this new community that Christ is forming with his forgiven people is not so much the the safety net but the tightrope itself it is the means by which we move forward into maturation and growth and protection in our life see community is for our encouragement it's for our growth into maturity it is for our protection community whatever that community is your your marriage your friendships and church itself in this larger community or your small group your life group that you have at someone's home it is a laboratory in which we learn to rely on God's grace and experience the gospel's transforming power. It is a lab for your growth. Real community, life-giving community, is not a pipe dream. Do you know how we know? How do we know, Pete? Because of the cross. Because on the cross, we see the community, the most intimate and meaningful community that was ever experienced was broken. Jesus' community with his closest friends and his fellowship with God the Father was broken on the cross. He was alienated. He was rejected by the Father so that you and I could be brought close. 
This was a plan of God from the beginning. That he would take our alienation and we would have his community. Is it really worth it? Is it really important to pursue? Should we, how eager should we really be to invest in community? It's important enough for God to give up his only son. To sacrifice his son. To be murdered. To break the most meaningful community that he ever had. That's how worth it it is. And at the cross, Jesus showed us that he can be trusted. And he plans to use the people around you. And when he says, I am bringing, I'm, I'm creating a new community of forgiven people, recipients of my gift and my grace, I'm bringing you close together. Don't neglect to meet with one another. Don't neglect to use your gifts to build up one another. Don't neglect to pursue a spirit of unity among you because this is who I am in my nature and I want you to be like me. This is something that is really great. I pray that we would continually have that. Even in the midst of broken people in a broken community, we would grow into Him who is our head, Jesus Christ. Let's pray.